0: Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on the Maroon Friday edition of the yard. Much later than I expected, but we had some big news today. Had some big news today is Aaron Nixon, closer from the University of Texas, has committed to Mississippi State. We're going to break that down here in the next segment of the show. Really excited about that. Uh, Chris Amonis and the staff doing good work. Doing good work. A lot of people are like, oh, you know, Steve, how do you feel? Well, I'll tell you right now, I think we're an A-minus in the portal. We were a B. Now we've added the closer. I think we're an A-minus right now. Maybe a B plus. Maybe a B plus. Maybe that's a fair grade. B-plus right now. Got a couple more spots to fill. If we get another outfielder, we get another starter, we get another reliever, I don't know how you could complain. Still chasing some arms. Got three already. Like to add a couple more. So we'll talk about that some later in the show, but uh, really a good start. Yeah, really good start. Nixon, a really good get. Had a huge freshman season, kind of up and down this year. Some of that may have had to do with the pitching coach there, but uh, the reality of it is, Mississippi State adds another big arm, a guy that loves Mississippi State. Have you paid attention to this Big Ten stuff? Big news yesterday, I guess it was Pete Thamel that broke the news. USC, US, UCLA head of the Big Ten. That's awfully interesting. You know, we talked about that, you know, with State and Ole Miss and everybody kind of wandering through this new SEC picking up Texas, Oklahoma, and everybody said, ah, it's not over. And it's really not. I, the thing that I think about is, you know, what does what the Pac-12 do? What, what do they do? They say, well, you know, we're, we're standing put for now. But what kind of uh, eyeballs are going to be in that TV package when you remove Los Angeles from your TV market? The, are there a lot, of, a, lot, a lot of Oregon State fans in L.A.? I don't think so. Not to mention all the intrigue and, you know, you know, what does it do for the TV package? Also, what does it do for attendance? What does it do for attendance? Yeah, you get some new teams coming in into uh into your home venue but how many and how many of those fans like say for rutgers or michigan michigan state are you know, going to make that trip every other year really i don't know that's commitment right there not to mention usc U- ucla fans have been able to kind of run up and down you know the pacific northwest and the length of the state of california you kind of develop some habits you know what does that do for ticket sales yeah, i don't know That's awfully interesting, though. So the Big Ten beginning to kind of make some moves there. You know, the Big 12, you know, we took Texas, Oklahoma, and you're like, oh, well, we're going to go get these guys. You're not going to replace those schools with replacements of equal value. So interesting times, to say the least, especially in, you know, as now everybody kind of begins to position themselves in a new NIL NCAA transfer portal world, you know, what does that mean? I guess it's uh we're, we're seeing maybe some change that was maybe unanticipated in some respects. And so people are having to do what they need to do to generate more revenue. You know, we're just two years removed from the COVID quarantine as well. Remember I mean, this time last year, two years ago, we weren't even sure if we're going to have college trouble. We thought we were. There was all these discussions, you know, the Pac-12 and the Big Ten were like, "Hey, we're not going to play," and Greg Sankey's like, "Ah, we'll see about that." Ultimately, everybody ended up playing, other than the Ivy Leagues. Just maybe a few minor conferences that had a, an abbreviated schedule, including the Pac-12. But my point with that is, is that uh, in the two years since the COVID quarantine, an awful lot has changed with college athletics, and I don't know that it's all positive. Talked to a friend moments ago, you know, about some players over in the state of Alabama. We're just talking about how this NIL stuff has gotten so out of control. He's talking about baseball. He said there was one particular prospect that's in the transfer portal that Auburn started out maybe in the top 30. This is a team that went to Omaha. Then they felt like they had worked their way into maybe the top grouping. And it's like, you know what, we're not going to get this kid unless he just loves Auburn. And losing some of that, I think, is really negative for college sports, especially if you're a program like, say, a Mississippi State or in Auburn. You know, I don't know if you know this. You know, Auburn, by and large, their student fan base and their student body is comprised of, you know, people from Auburn and Georgia, people that have an emotional connection to Auburn. It's kind of like that in Mississippi with State and Ole Miss. You know, Ole Miss really kind of prioritizes out-of-state recruiting. Mississippi State, by and large, a lot of Mississippians. And so I shared that because, you know, what happens when these people graduate? Right? I mean, think about your own lives and your own families and think about your own children. You know, I have one Mississippi State graduate in my number of children. I've got, and I'll have two soon, eventually three. Uh, things go as expected. But are they, you know, are, they, are they more likely to give to the Bulldog Club? I would say probably so. Are they more likely to come back and come to games and buy season tickets? Well, well yeah, because they've been raised doing so. That's not to say that we don't have – we've got a lot of very proud alums that did, weren't raised Bulldog fans. But when you've got, you know, schools like USC, all of a sudden they're kind of recruiting nationally – you know, USC is a national brand, even though they haven't had the success they, they once did. They're going to go play Rutgers? I mean, how many people are going to get in a plane to go fly across to Piscataway to watch the Trojans play Rutgers? And does that build any esprit de corps? That's the thing that I ask myself. You know, is when you, this transfer portal stuff, and when you've got basically student athletes acting as mercenaries. It's like, hey, we're going to go hire this kid. We're not going to sign him. We're going to hire him. We're going to hire him to come help us win some games next year. And then once his year is done, he's finished. Now, you look at guys like Scotty DeBrule and R.J. Yeager. Now, Scotty had a great career at Jacksonville. Part of that proud Dolphin baseball tradition. Comes to Mississippi State, wins an AFL championship. Scotty Brule will probably be more than happy to fill out a Bulldog Club application someday donate some money to mississippi state baseball rj yeager a guy that went to mercer had a great career at mercer but then came here becomes an all-american so there will probably be a connection there but if we get into all of this nil stuff kind of haphazardly number one does scotty come here and number two does he have the same affection for the place you know, Scotty Brule picked Mississippi State because it was the best opportunity. Scotty wanted a chance to get to Omaha, wanted a chance to win an AFL championship, and he did. And his family came, became part of our family. You know, what happens when maybe the checks are late one month? Right? Or what happens if perhaps a young man or young lady doesn't hold up their end of the deal the NIL stuff? And let's be honest, too. I mean, you know, the compliance is going to ensure that there's work being done to remain in compliance with NIL legislation. But, you know, when you read these stories, I hear kids getting hundreds of thousands of dollars. You and I both know there's no way they can generate enough revenue to make that a fair and equitable situation for the vendor. And there are some businesses that are basically bankrolling these athletic programs. And so what happens, like, we talk about this Rashada kid We talked about that on the show recently, supposedly picked Miami for a nine and a half million dollar NIL. Of course, everybody came out and said it wasn't true. But what if he gets there and you've paid him all this money and maybe the nine and a half million dollars is money earned over the course of a four or five year period? Maybe it is. That's still really serious coin. Well, what if he gets there and he loses the starting job? What if he can't compete what if he gets injured what if he gets homesick what if his girlfriend breaks up with him and all of a sudden he doesn't feel like playing what's that donor gonna think it's like well hey coach I'm paying this kid nine and a half million dollars you got to put him on the field so it opens up a Pandora's box where we talk about you know we we always joke about Auburn and places like that you know where the 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 donorship is too involved don't you think they're going to become even more involved now, now that there's more of a financial investment, I mean, it's one thing, okay, well, this guy's given, you know, a million dollars to the Bulldog Club. Now you think about, you know, Richard Rula and the money that he has given to Humphrey Coliseum and, and really to Mississippi State Athletics. That guy probably deserves a little access. But what if you got 20 of those guys? And we'd love to have 20 of those guys, right, here at Mississippi State. We'd love to have people that were as generous as Richard Rula or Richard Ackerson, right? We'd love Mickey Holloman. We can go on down the list. But now all of a sudden, you know, these guys have kind of eased their way in over time, right? And been involved in fundraising for years and years and years and kind of ridden the waves with us. But now what happens when new money is involved? You know, we have some donors that are kind of hands off. Now, there are a few, obviously, that, you know, that make a phone call every now and again. But by and large, our donorship writes a check and it says, hey, go get them, guys other schools and there are many of them where you have these meddling donors where it's like hey well I gave all this money I should have some say and so then all of a sudden you've got a situation like you've got with Brian Harson at Auburn and so we're very blessed in that respect but I begin to wonder too if there's not some unintended consequences that are going to come from this donor involvement when it comes to NIL I mean wealthy people are wealthy people for a reason most of them didn't get lucky. I mean, they're not a lot of lottery winners. I mean, these are a lot of people that kind of built their businesses from the ground up, and they're successful because they understand business. How many times are they going to write that check? And this is what we need to compete. Now we have got to put on a brave face at Mississippi State, and kind of embrace this world that we're now part of, even though we didn't really get a say in all of it. We got to find a way to compete. I still contend to you that we just kind of got to tread water for a while until they begin to regulate this. I think at some point they'll unionize the student-athletes of the NCAA and have a collective bargaining agreement, and some of this craziness will go away. And I, I read you know, comments sometimes people are really you know, blaming the kids. Well, the kids didn't make the rules. The adults did. Do you want to be upset with somebody? You know, Be upset with the NCAA leadership. Be upset with the university presidents that voted for this stuff. You know, and so now, granted, the NIL was a little different because you had you had state legislators saying, "Hey, we're going to do this. We're going to make a law that makes it possible for these young people to earn compensation based on their name, image, and likeness." And it's- bulldog fans. Rodeo season is here. That's right, the Dixie National Rodeo. Get ready to roll, man! And uh, I remember being a kid; that was like the biggest highlight for us. My grandmother would get us tickets every year. And you know what, partner? Point your toes west. Today's podcast is brought to you by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. What's the best way to help you and your finances thrive? The answer can be overwhelming with all the financial misinformation out there. Fortunately, you can turn to NerdWallet's Objective Finance journalists to set things straight and help you make smart decisions with your own money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bill so I don't dread April every single year, managing finances with a partner without causing a breakup, putting away more money for retirement since I'm not going to do this podcast forever. Sorry, folks. And also boosting my credit score since good credit is like a real-life cheat code. Saving for an emergency fund because life is like a good movie. It loves a good plot twist. The nerds also explained the real impact that the latest financial headlines could have on your life. Weekly financial check-ins with smart money help you spend more time doing what matters and less time worrying about what doesn't. Let NerdWallet's trusted experts untangle today's web of financial misinformation. Listen to NerdWallet's smart money podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Seemed like a good idea on its face. Because this time last year, you know, we're, we're just over a year in the day from the day of NIL being permissible nationally according to the ncaa so in a year's time we have gone from hey you're going to be able to sell these jerseys and the kids will profit from it they'll be able to do like a a, an advertisement with the local car dealership and make a few bucks and now we've got a quarterback prospect out of california supposedly uh you know getting between nine and 11 million dollars the center can't hold, to borrow a phrase, that is just not sustainable. It's not, and the thing that I go back to, and I've heard this, you know, that that Ole Miss on the football side is planning to spend 50 percent or more of their class on the transfer portal. I just don't think it's sustainable. I could be completely wrong. Lane Kiffin might actually be right, so I'm open to that possibility. I just think, you know, basically what you have to do is continue to mine your recruiting footprint and develop players you know basically we would become a glorified junior college with a checkbook it's like if we're going to go out here and sign 15 20 players out of the portal every year you know do those players have any connection or affection for the university or they just simply go into the highest bidder and again as i touched on earlier what does that do to alumni giving down the road if we're just going where we're paid the most, are we really loyal? Can you count on that kid on fourth and goal with the one? Those are the things that I always think about. Can, can I count on this kid when the game and the season is on the line? You know, you think about guys like Errol Thompson. Errol Thompson chose Mississippi State out of Florence High School over in Florence, Alabama, because that was the best opportunity for him to get an education and to further his athletic dreams. He came to Mississippi State. He had a good career, a big career, had a little drink of water in the uh, NFL. Probably should have had more of an opportunity. It would have been great if he had come back, but he didn't. Very grateful to Errol Thompson for his contributions to Mississippi State. But if we're going to go portal crazy, the guys like Errol Thompson get that opportunity. What about the next Errol Thompson? Does he end up at UAB? Does he end up at North Alabama? And the, the things you think about is say, well, you know, from a math standpoint, the math still works, right? I mean, you know, th- this person leaves, it opens up a scholarship opportunity here. But how many times is that opportunity going to be offered to that kid? And so you don't have a ton of developmental spots available. And the thing that I go back to, and I think it's a cautionary tale, there's a reason these kids are in the portal in the first place. And they're not all good. Not necessarily the kids, but the reasons they're in the portal. Some guys are in the portal because they're uncoachable. Some guys are in the portal because they got buried on the depth chart and couldn't play at their current institution. Sometimes a change of scenery does them good. Like Macaw Polk is a transfer portal success story. Underutilized decal comes here since a school record. Joe Burrow, buried on the depth chart in Ohio State, comes to LSU, wins the Heisman Trophy. Those are the exceptions rather than the rule. But every guy out there, that's what they believe. I'm the next Joe Burrow. I'm the next McCoy Polk. And it's just not the case. And so it's a slippery slope on which we stand. Let's thank our friends at Bulldog Burger Company. Always solid footing there. Always. Love Bulldog Burger Company. You will too. If you haven't been recently, we encourage you to go. They've updated the menu. Also got that great patio area open here in Starkville. Go by and have uh, have those spring rolls out under the patio. Enjoy a night out with friends or with family. I think I'd probably rather be outside with friends. I think family, I'd rather be inside, right? That's me. Maybe you feel differently. Three great locations to serve you. University Drive here in Star Vegas, Gloucester Street there in Tupelo, and the newest with Lake Harbor Drive there in the Rhodes and Flowood area. A great restaurant-quality hamburger is one of the fine delicacies in life. Be sure and go have one today. I would recommend, you know, maybe if you're a newcomer, start with the Bulldog. You can't go wrong with the Bulldog. I mean, And that's the thing, too. If, if every time you went to Bulldog Burger company, the rest of your life, all you had was the Bulldog Burger, you, you would live a very blessed and sustained life of happiness. Fair enough. I like to experiment a little bit, as the early 90s can prove. Um, I like the mission. I get the pico de gallo on the side. I like the smokehouse. I like that pimentology, add bacon to put hair on your chest, I'm telling you. That, that is not for the faint of heart. Be sure and go have it yourself. Get that shipwish doughnut pudding as your uh, dessert, too. Maybe even bring it home. Have breakfast the next day. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. All right, I spent some time this afternoon visiting with the new Diamond Dog, Aaron Nixon. You talk about a guy that is excited. That's Aaron Nixon. Be sure and, and go check out his first public comments or a free story over at jeanspage.com. It's also on my social media feeds. Anytime we have a guy commit, we make that story free. We do. Now, we may all the kind of the hints and all kind of leading up to it. That's going to kind of be behind the paywall. But once they commit, we celebrate that with everybody. So Aaron Nixon's commitment story is free. I'm very excited about Aaron Nixon. So let me, let me run him down for you. Aaron Nixon is a 6'1", 205-pound right-handed pitcher that has primarily been a closer at the University of Texas. He was a freshman All American in 2021, as I told you guys earlier this week. He had the, the lone Texas win over Mississippi State last year, the win in Omaha, when uh, they forced the uh, winner take all elimination game. But uh, looking at 2021, only one outing went more than two innings, and that was a nearly three inning stint against Oklahoma. We talked too about uh, you know, your closer. You know, Landon Sims, we were real careful with him. We didn't throw him two times on a weekend very often. They threw Nixon two times on a weekend a lot at Texas, at least last year. Uh, He had two outings against South Carolina. Both of those were wins. He had two outings against Baylor. Both of those wins. Two outings against Oklahoma. That was a split. He had two outings against Kansas State. Two outings against Nevada. Two outings against TCU. Go all the way down the list. And, of course, he gets that W, one and two-thirds of an inning, allows just one hit, no runs, a couple of walks, and a strikeout against Mississippi State. Finished the year with a 2.12 ERA, a 4-3 and three record, nine saves. That'll get it done. So he was you know, a part or directly responsible for 13 victories that year. And, of course, he pitched in some other games that they won where he didn't, he, he didn't factor in the decision. But, uh, yeah, I mean, a good good first year for him. And, again, a freshman All-American. This year, a little different deal. He had 27 appearances in 2021. He had 26 this year. But he goes one and three this year and has five saves. Goes 30 and one-thirds of an inning, uh, less than a hit per inning, 24. But uh, did give up some runs this year. Gave up just eight in 2021, gave up 18 this year. 25 walks. so walks were up considerably. Strikeouts were up just a smidge. Extra base hits also up a little bit too. Batting average against, pretty constant, 211 in 2021 and 214 this year. Also had twice as many wild pitches, went from two to four. It's not a big number, but still, hit by pitches about the same. Uh, But by and large, he got hit a little bit more this year. Now, one of the things, talking to some of our Texas people, is they'll tell you they tinkered a little bit with him, with his mechanics. You know, you you always want to kind of fine-tune things. They tinkered with things a bit and he didn't have quite the cut, you know, that fastball as he did the year before. And Scott Foxhall being a pitching guru will get that figured out. Hey, we talked a little bit about uh, you know, throwing this guy a little more often. About the two times in a weekend. And that was always the book on Landon Sam's right. When I throwing him enough. So this this year, looking at Nixon's numbers, two appearances against Alabama, both of them were wins, also pitched in a win over Tennessee. How about that? Uh, Let's see here. Two appearances against Texas Tech. They lost both of those games. And then uh, two appearances against Kansas. So he is a guy that apparently can heat up and gas up and go twice in a weekend with some regularity. But uh, kind of looking at some things down the stretch here. Oklahoma got to him. Oklahoma, that's probably the worst outing of the year. That was in the uh, Big 12 tournament, I believe. Didn't retire a hitter. Gave up three hits, four runs. Kind of a tough outing, for sure. They lose that game 8-1. to one. And he pitched against East Carolina. So not a lot of postseason experience this year, but pitched in Omaha last year. I like guys that have that experience. Now, why they shut him down this year, don't know. Don't know anything about that. But, uh, you know, there was, you know, midway through the year, he just kind of cruising along there with a sub-3 ERA. And then it just kind of ticked up a little bit and got away from him late in the year you know he's running you know just over three going into the last month of the regular season and then the next thing you know you know it's all the way up to 504 and a lot of that too is because of that Oklahoma outing give up four runs in that and then against East Carolina too didn't get a hitter out but you know give up a hit and a run and so his last two outings he did not retire a hitter and allowed five runs so that elevates the ERA a little bit so Sometimes you look at that and say, the numbers are the numbers, but statistics do lie because consistently throughout the year, he had been pretty good. Uh, They elected, kind of shut him down late and uh, didn't use him in their run to Omaha. But, um, you know, it is what it is. Uh, I like the kid a lot. He's from McAllen, Texas, and a major in applied movement science. How about that? That's a little sexy major for you. So talking to him, he tells me, just talking to Scott Foxhall, he knew. He knew. He went to the stadium. It was amazing, but it's really the people of Mississippi State. And also, too, he went to the Starkville Cafe and had duck Butter on his pancakes, and the rest, they say, is history. He mentioned the duck Butter multiple times. That's always interesting to me, the things that young people find exciting when they come here. He loves Starkville, loves Mississippi State, excited to get here and get to work. Now, there was some talk last week that he was going to be at Team USA Trials. This week, he's not there. He's back home in McAllen, Texas. Uh, resting, working out, getting ready for this year. He believes Mississippi State can win an Apple Championship next year. That's what he's coming in here to do. We talk about getting difference makers, right? That's the thing that we've heard. Steve, yeah, well, these guys are pretty good, but you know they're mainly G5 guys. And so now you go get a closer from the University of Texas. You know, a team that uh, has had some, you know, extremely extremely good seasons the last couple of years you know i remember entering last year there was a lot of discussion david pierce might be on the hot seat and they end up finishing top five and then uh, make a big run in the big 12 tournament they win they sweep their regional they win the greenville super and then they get to omaha and they go zero and two and eliminated by texas a&m but back-to-back years you know, for the Longhorns, who have had the most appearances in College World Series history in Omaha. Uh, so, you know, this is a guy, too, that uh, grew up rooting for the Longhorns, told me he committed to them when he was like 14 years of age. It's crazy, huh? So he's headed here. Whenever that is, he'll be here, whether it be fall ball, whatever. So we, we wintered, entered this portal season needing to get a closer. What else do we need? All right. So to date, we have five transfers plus Nate Chester, who was a junior college sunny, middle infielder. So you've got Colton Ledbetter, power hitting outfielder, probably left fielder, take over for Brad Kumbast. Excited about that. You get Landon Gartman, the AAC Pitcher of the Year, guy did a great job at Memphis on a bad team. It's tough to put up that kind of record. On a bad team, but he did. You get Nate Dome, a guy that's a big arm, was really good down the stretch for Ball State, was kind of up and down like most freshmen are beginning of the year. You felt pretty good about that. Then you get Imani Larry from UNO. A guy's going to be a good player for us. Kind of locked in at second base. But you start thinking okay, well, we needed a second base and we needed a couple of outfielders. Well, now all of a sudden, you're down to just the nitty gritty. I think there is one more position that you kind of focus on, that that center field. We'd like to get a center fielder. State is on a couple. And so we'd like another center fielder. And then I think you need to get another bullpen arm and another starting pitcher. Now, the thing about pitchers are, I mean, just about every pitcher thinks they're a starter. You know, there are some guys, obviously, that have embraced the closer role. But even your mid-relievers want to be starters. And so, if you go get, you go chase a couple starters, and you make a guy a mid reliever, you're you're still probably okay there. So, I suspect that we'll go out and get three more players. Could it be more? Maybe. I don't. I'm not expecting that. I was told here about two weeks ago, probably anywhere from six to nine, depending on who all wants to come. Because we're not going to go sign a guy that's not better than what we already have. We're not going to go just go you know sign a guy and then run a, develop, a developmental guy off just for one year. So we got to get enough juice for the squeeze there. So that's kind of how I see it. Another outfielder and two more pitchers. If one of those guys is a reliever and one guy is a weekend starter, I think that we can look back and say, you know what, we got an A-plus group. Now, we look at this LSU stuff, too, and I read this a lot. We talked about this a couple days ago, the name recognition stuff. You're talking to some other people, too. We talk about T. Break from Creighton. There's a lot of discussion that he's going to sign a pro contract this year. He is draft eligible. And so I just kind of caution you, as you read these headlines, let's provide a little context. Because some of these portal classes today are going to look much different after the draft. And State's going to sign a couple guys, too, that are draft eligible, right? You never know. It only takes one team to fall in love with them. And so I think it's just kind of important. You know, We're grading as we go, but to make a decision right now is kind of like Picking a winner in the fifth inning. There's just so much baseball left to be played. There's so many things left to figure out. Uh, but yeah, Aaron Nixon, a great get from Mississippi State. And I, the thing that I think about too with Scott Foxhall, when you look at the work that he did, you know, with Will Bednar and Landon Sims and Casey Hunt for that matter, you know, I, I think you feel like, you know, what, hey, this is a guy that can develop pitchers. And Scott took a brunt of the criticism last year. Because everybody's like, and, and I, I'm a victim of some of that stuff too. Because I'm emotionally invested in this team's success too. It's like, how does Mississippi State run out of pitching? We, we had four major injuries. All that is true, but I, you know, maybe I see Mississippi State in a different light than other people. And I think to myself, well, how did, how did we become so pitching poor? Well, we're, we're working to address that now. We've got a ton of arms coming in in this class. And you got some portal guys coming in too that'll serve as a stopgap on those young guys develop. I think this could be a pitching staff with depth similar to what we saw in 2021. Do they have the same ability? Do they have the same competitiveness? Will they have the same level of production? That's the thing we don't know yet. But from a talent standpoint, yes, this is gonna be a very talented pitching staff. Even if we don't sign anybody else. The talent is there for this team to get right back into the postseason, into hosting opportunities. And we talk about the hitting aspect of it. And the bottom line is, is when you have major injuries like that, you know, the pressure is felt by every player. I don't care who you are or where you're from. You start thinking, you know what, Our bull, we know our bullpen's going to give up a couple runs. I got to come through here and get a big hit so guys don't play loose. And so how many games did we have in 2021 that once we got through the sixth inning, we're like, this thing is over. And so, you know, the formula, I think, in many respects is, as you go out there and you start stacking relievers, guys that can get you three to six outs, and you start feeling good about life again. You know, rather than having to think, I mean, how many times do we bring somebody in and they'd have a good inning, and you're thinking, okay, well, how do we cover these last three innings? How do we get these last nine outs? You know, now you'll have some depth. And I think because you have some depth, you'll be able to absorb some injuries. You know, and that's one thing I give Lomonas and Fox Hall a lot of credit for. They do not push those guys to get back out there before they're ready. If anything, Chris is probably a little bit too cautious. You know, we saw it with JT Gann, We saw it with Will Bednar. Until the guy's ready to go and Foxhall has a good bullpen with him and we feel confident about him, they're not going to put those guys out there and jeopardize their future. those guys have a future – we're not going to derail that just to win a ball game at Mississippi State. And granted, every ball game is important, but we also understand the bigger picture here. And all of a sudden, if you start burning through pitchers, you're not going to be able to recruit any. So you got to take care of arms, and this staff does do that. I know we had some injuries last year. Uh, we just kind of had some bad luck, and, and they're not all related. You know, that's the thing I think sometimes that we look at and say, well, you know, what's the common denominator? Well, it's baseball. It's the most unnatural thing you do in all of athletics is you throw a baseball overhand at about 95 miles an hour it's not an easy thing to do that's why the guys that can do it play baseball for a long time they're not easy to replace those guys no matter what anybody says or does so again let's give it a b plus right now a b plus with the potential to move up to a very solid a maybe even an a plus you know, if we get the right combination of guys. And, again, we're, we're, we're tracking the daily movements over at uh, jeanspage.com. Come join the baseball board. Uh, you yeah, know, not everything is perfect by any stretch. There are some guys, too, that, you know, we get excited about. They go elsewhere. or some guys we find out about, and then Mississippi State doesn't go all in on them. Maybe another school does, and they go somewhere else. But there is some drama here in the summer as we look to kind of put this baseball program back together. And so the thing that I get hit with a lot – people say hey you know Steve I don't really follow this baseball recruiting stuff really well I know that you do just tell me we're going to be better next year and let me just tell you we're going to be better next year we're going to be better next year and there's always that you know there's that Johnny Johnny guy in the background oh you know yeah but there's this you know we don't gain anything from that we really don't but Based on what we've done so far, what we have coming back, what we have coming in, we'll be a better baseball team. And, and listen, the margin between us being, you know, below average and average was pretty thin last year. You know, we knew going in it was kind of like football season. Like we knew we were all worried about Landon Sims going to the starting rotation, worried how do we cover the back end. And it's like, yeah, we know Landon's a dog, but, you know, when he gives it up in the seventh inning, who's going to close it out? Those are the things you think about. Well, I think now what we've done is we've addressed those things, and now you're probably thinking, hey, can my starter get me through the fifth, maybe to the sixth, and then I turn it over to a bullpen where I've got these you know, big arms that can stack some outs for me, and you start realizing that's kind of the winning formula for Mississippi State. We don't need a guy to go out there and go seven, eight, nine innings. We don't need that. Now, of course, we'd love that to happen, especially in the postseason. But the reality of it is it is a long baseball season, and you don't want to have those guys throwing 120-plus 120, 120 pitches. I mean, you get up around 100, you start getting a little bit nervous. And I know everybody says, you know, well, when I was a kid, you know, well, there was no such thing as arm care when I was a kid. Just, there, there wasn't. You know, I think when I was – maybe when I played Pony League ball, you know, that was the first time, like, the same kid couldn't pitch in the same week. Like, if you had a game on Tuesday and a game on Saturday, he could only throw in one of the two games. That was, that was as, as involved as it ever went. But there was no pitch counter. I mean, you threw whatever you, you threw, to you got tired. You threw, to you were not effective. It's not like it is today. You know, people really watch this stuff today. And so, again, I think we're doing a good job. Not finished by any stretch. You know, I'll be happy with an A, but, man, I really want an A+. There's a couple players out there. I kind of got my on. I'm thinking, you know what? This is a guy here that takes us from being in the hosting discussion to potentially in the top eight national discussion. And he said, but, Steve, let's not get ahead of ourselves. You think the folks at A&M got ahead of themselves? They were dead last in the West in 2021, and then we're number five in the NFL seat this year. It absolutely can be done, and we are Mississippi State. And I really wish more of our fans acted like it. All right, time for today's top 10 list, brought to you by CloseWithBlair.com. That's C-L-O-S-E with Blair, B-L-A-I-R, CloseWithBlair.com. Blair is a friend of mine, and most of my friends, the people that I actually consider friends, are friends in some industry. They're people that I turn to when I have questions or I have needs, and that's who Blair Chandler can be for you. He is a mortgage professional, knows everything there is to know about the mortgage business. Be sure and check out his website. Again, that's closed with Blair.com, C-L-O-S-E with Blair, B-L-A-I-R.com. And if you mentioned to him you heard about him on the yard, he's going to pay for your appraisal. And this is a guy too who works for Fairway Mortgage, recently voted number one in customer satisfaction. Blair, two years running, top 1% close ratio in the country. It's the guy that gets things done. You want to stick with the winners? That's Blair Chandler. Phone number. And you know what? Rates are starting to go up. Maybe you can't afford to wait too late. Whether you want to consolidate some debt or get some cash out, do some home improvements, Blair is your guy. Again, that's closeofblair.com. All right, so today's top 10 list, another one of Roy's ideas. Roy's been on a hot streak here as of late. And so he said, hey, have we ever done a top 10 list on bands with siblings? We have not. We've done bands with couples, and we've done like father, like sons, but we've never done bands with siblings. So we're going to do that today, and this is going to be an incredible list. You want to get your 4th of July weekend off and running? This is it right here. And by the way, it's my birthday weekend, and if you're thinking about what to get me, cash. All right, top 10. Let's go. A band that's been on our list before, it's number 10. It's Nelson. That's right. That's right. The blonde-haired phenoms, the sons of legendary heartthrob Ricky Nelson. Nelson's Love and Affection is our number 10 song. Because I can't live without your love and affection. Number nine, The Beach Boys. When I was a kid, man, The Beach Boys were everywhere. And it's like everybody's like, hey, I want to be like them. There was even a little TV show, if I remember correctly. I was a child of the 70s, you know, so... We got to hear all that and people had 45s and we had some Beatles and some BGs and we had some Rolling Stones. We had a bunch of Beach Boys. They were good, clean, fun. So we're gonna go with Help Me Rhonda. I remember being a kid too, when we had the, the Iran, Iran uh, hostage situation, and then people began to play the Beach Boy song Barbara Ann, and they changed it to Bomb Iran, Bomb Bomb Bomb, Bomb Bomb Iran. We were really cool back then. All right, number eight. If you haven't seen How Can You Mend a Broken Heart, the Bee Gees documentary, you're cheating yourself. I don't care if you weren't a big disco fan. The Bee Gees were incredible. And that documentary is phenomenal. Be sure and check it out. I believe it's on HBO Max. You might be able to catch it on Netflix. I'm not exactly sure. It's out there. You can search for it and find it. It's great. We're going to go with Tragedy is our number eight song from the Bee Gees, Tragedy. Number seven, we'd be remiss if we didn't mention these guys. It's Credence Clearwater Revival, CCR. But I decided to go with a little different song. Tesla actually covered this song on the five-man acoustical jam. It's the song Lodi out in California. I'm stuck in Lodi again. That's a great song. Number six, another band with a great documentary. I think it's still on Netflix. It's Oasis. We did a top ten for them a while back that I absolutely killed. Everybody loves Oasis. Very contentious band. But we're gonna go with Live Forever. They had a huge war with Blur. I don't know if you knew that. Huge. Huge, huge, huge war with blur. Huge. But Oasis won. Number five, you couldn't do a, a list of a band of siblings without mentioning the Almond Brothers. Greg and Dwayne. How could you not, man? And we're going to go with the quintessential Allman Brothers song, which is Midnight Rider. Love that song. I can listen to it every day. I never get tired of it. Never. Another group of contentious brothers that have been on again, off again, have a love-hate relationship, and Chris has said before, I'm never going to tour with Rich again, and now they are. It's the Black Crows. I love the Crows from the very beginning, when Jealous Again came out, I was like, these guys are something different than what we're used to. I dig these guys. They're a throwback. Of course, they had uh, you know the Bell Bottoms and everything else and the flamboyant Chris Robinson. I saw these guys with Government Mule years ago. One of the best shows I've ever seen in my life. But we're going to go off that first album, I Shake Your Money Maker. We're going with the track Twice As Hard, which was the second single off that album. Jealous Again, Twice As Hard, and then Hard to Handle. I believe she talks to angels. just right after that. I mean, think about that for a second. Four huge singles off a debut album like that doesn't happen very often. Number three, it's the leading ladies of classic rock. I love Heart. You should too. I recently shared uh, you know the Ford Center thing with Led Zeppelin there and Heart, saying "Stairway to Heaven," which is an incredible rendition. And you can actually get that on Apple Music now. I'm sure you can on Spotify too. But it's not just available on YouTube or, you know, some pirated recording. You can actually download it. Their version, incredible. Nowhere near as the original, nothing ever could be. But to watch the video and to watch Jimmy Page and Robert Plant and John Paul Jones kind of react to Jason Bonham out there on drums wearing his dad's bowler and there's a big crowd and choir, it's, it's an amazing, amazing performance. But uh, we're not going to go with a hardcover. We're going to go with a song that I'm sending out to all of you. It's all I want to do is make love to you. That's it. Number two, the boys from Australia. And we don't have Malcolm Young anymore. We do have Angus. We're talking ACDC. And yes, I know a lot of their songs sound similar. I know the chord progression is, is basically repetitive. I know a lot of people are like, Angus is this. Angus is a great rock and roll guitar player. The guy's a legend. Nobody has come up with more amazing riffs than Angus Young. But we're going Dirty Deeds. We're going back to the Bon Scott days. Dirty Deeds, done dirt cheap. But number one, the greatest rock and roll brothers of all time. I'm talking the the Everly brothers. No, it's the Statler brothers. No, it's not. We're talking Van Halen. And we're going all the way back To the pre 1984 David Lee Roth era. We're going back. I'm going to give you one too that's probably not on your playlist. We've talked about this on the show before, but it's everybody wants some because I want some too. So we've gone from love and affection to all I want to do is make love to you to everybody wants some. It's Friday for sure. Oh, Dirty Deeds, my goodness. How could we not? I'm going to stop right there because I'm going to talk myself into trouble. Okay? All right, so there's your top ten list. If you have ideas for a top ten list, reach out and let me know. Better yet, send it to Roy at Dogmatic67 on Twitter. That's dawgmatic 67. Of course, Roy, uh, his job will soon be ending, not with us, but uh, with his plant closings. If you're looking for somebody that's involved with quality control management, reach out to Roy, and he'll send you a resume. Maybe it's a fit. It's a great bulldog doing a great job. And uh, got about eight or nine more years before he can retire and move to Starkville, right? So let's take care, of Roy, if we can. Again, it's top ten list. And uh, thanks, as always, for your support. I'll be honest with 38 Special did really well. It didn't do as well as you know, Best of the 504 or Anthrax. So maybe I'm learning something about our audience here. You know, I thought you were all just kind of Southern rock and classic rock folks. But all of a sudden, you know, we throw out there, we throw a little little Wayne and Juvenile out there and, and people back that thing up, Right uh so we'll consider that kind of moving forward again if you have ideas reach out let me know no idea is too silly sometimes there are people ask for some lists that require a little more work and i'm willing to put in but uh, i enjoy talking music with you guys so again reach out to roy and thanks for your support of top 10 lists i was remiss in doing it earlier in the show so let's do it now let's award our prime strength player the game to aaron nixon he hadn't pitched a game for us yet but we're very proud to have him as part of our bulldog baseball family you guys should get excited about him. This is a real dude. It's a great get for Mississippi State. This is, this is a guy that's pitched in Omaha. This is a guy that knows what it means to pitch in big games. Not going to be the least bit intimidated by coming and pitching in front of you guys at Duty Noble Field. Primeshrimp.com is a great place to make your dinner feel like it's served in the French Quarter. Primeshrimp.com has been in business since the 1940s. have been peeling shrimp forever and a day. Four great flavors to choose from, the garlic butter, the Simply Seasoned, the Louisiana Crab Bowl, my favorite, the French Quarter Alfredo. They ship it to you in this gray box. It's it's delivered in these very, very handy to store pouches. Doesn't take up a lot of room in the freezer, and that's important, really is. And so next thing you know, you put on a, a pot of water and you boil that, you drop those shrimp in 10 minutes later, it's time to eat. The joy of shrimp without the normal prep and cleanup associated with store bought shrimp. Be sure and check them out. PrimeShrimp.com use promo code Boneyard to save 20 bucks off your first order. And that's 20 bucks. That's anytime you can save 20 bucks on a quality product like that, you're really coming out ahead. And it's a money-back guarantee. If you don't like it, they'll give your money back. Again, it's PrimeShrimp.com, promo code Boneyard. All right. Next segment of the show brought to you by your friends at Campus Bookmart. The bully shop is expanded. I haven't been by there yet. I'm going to go by next week and check it out and come back and give you guys a, an eyewitness account of uh, the progress they're making there at Campus Bookmark. I encourage you when you're in town, go by and see their smiling faces, the lovely, talented Susie, Miss Kathy Brown, uh, Miss Pam Penn, everybody up there, just fabulous people doing a great job for a great fan base. If you're looking for Mississippi State merchandise, look no further than Campus Bookmark. I encourage you to, if you can't make it to town or perhaps game day shopping is not for you, Visit them on the World Wide Web at campusbookmark.net. Support a local business by doing so. I always encourage people to to shop locally rather than shop on Amazon whenever you can. Uh, support Campus Bookmark; they've been supporting you for many, many years. They've got that free parking lot too for commuter students who want to park there in the back and walk to campus because they love Mississippi State. If you go to campusbookmark.net, we'll save you a little money. Promo code BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. That gets you free shipping on all orders over 50 bucks. Any order less than $50, absolutely incomplete. Now, if you were a, aware yesterday on Twitter, Facebook, whatever, we pushed it out there, broke the news on jeanspage.com that Mississippi State has entered into a three-year contract extension with Mississippi State defensive coordinator Zach Garnett. Now, that's important for a few reasons. Number one, Zach Arnett, really good at his job. We love Zach. Zach plays an aggressive style of defense, and last year it was kind of feast or famine at times, but the reality of it is we want a defensive unit that will get after you. We have 11. You have 11. One of yours is a quarterback, which means we've got one guy that's unaccounted for, and you don't know where he's coming from. We enjoy that aspect of football. This is the third contract Zach Arnett has signed at Mississippi State. Now, when Zach was at Syracuse, he was there prior to signing his contract. So we were able to kind of steal him away from Syracuse. And that was the thing, too. When I put out, hey, Zach Arnett's a candidate. People were like, hey, he's a Syracuse. And I thought, well, maybe I'm wrong here. Go back to my source, and they say, nope, he's a candidate. He's a Rocky Long disciple. Mike Leach has a tremendous amount of respect for Rocky Long and his brand of defense. So if you can't get Rocky, you kind of want to get you know, the Jedi student. So we did. Zach comes in, despite some limited personnel in 2020, puts together a great defense, uh, wore down a little bit later in the year, and if we'd have just had one SEC safety, you'd probably beat Ole Miss, you'd probably beat Georgia. All due respect to the kids that were here that gave their best efforts, it just wasn't enough. Then a lot of people were like, hey, I want to go take a swing at Zach Arnett, but your athletic director – John Cohen, negotiated an in-season contract extension for Zach Arnett during the 2020 season. I think it happened right after the Ole Miss game. So we got that done, and so when these folks began to come out and look and say, hey, we want to get Zach Arnett, well, there's a buyout in place. And I remember, and I made some people upset in Baton Rouge when I reported this, and I even challenged them privately when he was down there, took the plane trip, and met with Ed Orsron, and they're like, oh, I hear there's some wiggle room in the buyout. And I'm like, hey, listen, I don't know who your source is, Jack, or Thibodeau, Boudreau, whoever you are. I don't know who your source is. But if you think for one second that John Cohen is going to allow wiggle room in a buyout with an SEC Western Division team, you're kidding yourself. And so the buyout became problematic. People are like, hey, I want to get this guy, but I, I got to break the bank to do it. And 2020 wasn't a year to go out there writing checks you weren't sure you could cash. And so Zach Garnett comes back. And Zach likes it here in Starkville. His family's happy here. That's not to say that he won't turn down a great opportunity somewhere, to chance, you know, perhaps take better care of his family. But the reality of it is we had, a, we had identified an up-and-coming defensive coordinator that got proved he can do it in the SEC. We committed to him. He committed to us, and even though he had some other opportunities, because of the forethought of your athletic director, those opportunities never came to fruition because people weren't willing to write the check. Now, flash forward this year, and it's been it's been it's been several weeks actually since he signed it. I just kind of uncovered this yesterday. But he signed a three year contract that'll pay him $1.2 million a year, and he's set to receive an annual raise in pay of $100,000 for 2023 and 2024. And there is also a buyout in this one. Now, the thing that I go back to is we obviously like him, and he clearly likes us. Why would he continue to sign contracts? that keep him here, but also to kind of impede other programs from being able to poach him away from us. So again, tip of the cap to John Cohen for being pretty savvy business-wise here to protect us. Because how many times have we seen it happen? We get an up-and-coming coach, and then we lose him because of the fact that uh, we did not have a deal in place that kind of impeded other schools' recruitment of said coach. So we get him. Now, I believe it's really smart now to do it rather than later. That's the thing that I read on social media sometimes. We address some of this with the leads contract issue on Wednesday. Okay, this is not your working environment. Many of you maybe have been in the middle of a pack. I don't know. And you say, hey, we should have waited another year. Okay, that's not how things work in college athletics. If you wait another year, then you lose your bargaining power because all of a sudden that guy could just pack up and leave. Well, well, we should just wait. No, we've identified a guy that we know is who we want. The guy's done a great job here, doing a good job recruiting, doing a good job coaching up your kids. The kids really like him. And he's a no-nonsense guy, too. The fans really like him, too. Now, I say all that to say this, why it's smart to do it now. Because I think we're going to be really good on defense this year. I think we're going to have the best defense we've had in the Mike Leach era here at Mississippi State. And you said, but Steve, you know, we haven't been what we have been maybe historically. And that's probably true. I think this year we could be. I think this year, defensively, we are going to be really, really salty. Now, you look at this roster and you begin to think, okay, Steve, break it down for me. Well, I'm so glad you asked. I really believe, and I'm not the only person who believes this, there's some articles out there kind of among some Southeastern Conference college football pundits that'll say, hey, this Bulldog front seven is going to be pretty salty. And we should be. I don't think there's any question that we should be. So we talk about Jordan Davis coming back. Jordan Davis, a relentless pass rusher, has not had a lot of senior college level production. Had a good year a couple years ago, got hurt last year in fall camp, tore his ACL and he was gone. We get him back. The guy looks like a million dollars. I'm excited about what he could bring. But you also think, too, like down the stretch last year, you know, we didn't have Jaden Crumity. Nathan Pickering was kind of up and down last year, and we kind of need him to kind of pick it up, too. Uh, Cam Young continuing to be a small-town Mississippi Mississippi State success story. But when you begin to look at this defensive line – you bring Pickering back, who was a very solid piece of the rotation. Has he lived up to his billing? I would say not yet, but this is the money year. Of course, he has a COVID year available to him should he elect to use it, but he's a senior. Cam Young, of course, also a redshirt senior. Crummity, a redshirt senior. And then you add in Jacarius Clayton is a guy that will probably be in a rotation even as a young guy. But um, you, you begin to think about that group, old wins in this league, in every sport. But when you talk about the trenches, you know, the veterans that you require, you know, we're going to have three guys that are seniors that have a ton of SEC snaps under their belt there in the interior. And all three of those guys I think have NFL potential. Pick's got to pick it up. But I think Cam Young and Jaden Crumbody will likely be on an NFL roster this time next year. And and Pickering could too, but it's up to him. Randy Charlton is a guy last year that was outstanding for us. Uh, played a a different uh, spot or two last year was talk about sliding him inside but when jordan davis went down then you had to have ready charlton stay outside demonte russell is the guy that we've been really excited about he had some big moments last year need him to take the next step this year jack harris played some of DN for us last year had was good had some good moments Deontay Anderson is the guy that's still kind of figuring it out. He's a redshirt freshman. You forget he was an All-American high school guy. And there's Jevin Banks, really more of a five-tech. He could slide inside a little bit. But, again, we talk about old leading the charge here. Two senior defensive ends, and then their reserves, redshirt juniors. A lot of SEC snaps behind that front four. Now let's go to linebackers. Now, I love the first-team backers. I'm a little worried about depth. You know, we can't afford to get anybody hurt. But this first-team linebacking group is really good, and it's led by Ty Wheat. Ty Wheat, at times can be an unblockable force of nature, and this is the money year for him. Again, a senior. Came back. There was talk last year that he might move on, and try his hand with pro football. Came back. Bookie Watson was the guy that's a converted wide receiver. He chased a wide receiver opportunity until the very end. Came in and was kind of chasing his shadow for a while as he learned the position, but the guy's been ultra productive. Has really come on here in the last year. Deshaun Page was the guy that we signed out of East Mississippi Community College with three years to play. Last year was kind of a learning year for him. Matt Brock has told us before that he felt like Deshaun Page perhaps had the the most improved spring in the linebacking core. J.P. Purvis, finally healthy, I love J.P. Purvis. You know, he had that car accident that kind of put him behind uh, the sticks a little bit. Well, I think now he's finally got to the point that he can trust his body again. He had a good spring. And there's Sherman Timms, of course, has come back. And, uh, you know, Sherman's a guy that, you know, you just—he's—I mean, he's as tough as a $2 steak, man. I mean, the guy gets out there and just plays. I mean, he's not the most athletic guy, but he's a guy that's going to go make plays for you. Then there's John Lewis, a guy that played sparingly last year, but a big-time player out of Germantown High School. We expect big things from him. We think he is part of that next generation of Bulldog linebackers. Nick Mitchell, another guy that uh, kind of a marginal take, I guess, in some respects, flipped him from Temple, looks the part. Now it's a matter of playing the part. Jed Johnson, of course, ultra-productive, lifetime Bulldog. He's a redshirt senior. Could be a guy that takes uh, COVID year, comes back, not sure. But Jet's a guy, too. You, know, you, you want to know why Aaron Brule transferred? It's Jed Johnson. And not because there was beef. It's because once Jed got into the lineup, you couldn't get him out. Then Aaron Brule wanted to start. And how could you guarantee Aaron Brule is going to start when Jed Johnson's been the more productive player? And so Jed Johnson's maturation as a player is a reason that Aaron Brule hit the portal. We'd love to have had Aaron here, but Aaron's got to go somewhere he can play. And then there's Ty Cooper, of course, uh, kind of that flex guy. So... Played some last year for us. We expect him to do some good things for us this year, too. So you look at that and you say, you know what, I feel really good about the first team. Second team is okay, but there's some names you're familiar with. But I think you can get excited about that. I think that front seven is going to be really, really good. I think we'll be able to rush the passer. I think we'll be able to be good against the run. Again, very productive linebackers here. Now, the cornerback spot, we lose Martin Emerson, and you start thinking, okay, well, Steve, how can we be better? I don't know that we'll be better, but we can probably be as good as we have been. I think this too this, uh, deep is the best it's been for Darcel McBath. You know what you have with Emmanuel Forbes. Asias Furge, a solid reserve, and this is a guy too, and we can't run him off, be a redshirt senior. DeCambion Richardson, Darcel McBath has hit multiple times. Most improved player in the personnel group is spring. And then, of course, Marcus Banks transfers in. Um, he'll be a factor. He'll push. He'll play a lot as well. DeCarlos Nicholson, kind of the same situation, one of the top junior college defensive backs in the country. Good thing to get those guys on campus here in the spring. And you feel good about depth at cornerback really for the first time because the last couple of years it was like, man, if anybody ever got hurt at corner, we were going to be in a bind. And then Martin Emerson goes down against Kentucky with a targeting penalty, and then DeCamryon Richardson has a game of his life. On the safety side of things, there's Jalen Green. Got guy that was very productive for us last year. This is the money year for him, former five-star out of Houston, Texas. Jackie Matthews, a four-star transfer from West Virginia. We probably should have signed him out of junior college. We didn't. He's from Penson Valley High School, same high school as Nick Gibson. Corey Ellington, if you saw him today, you wouldn't recognize him. 6'3", 205, and he is every bit of that. He was the guy, too, that uh, once he got into the strength and conditioning program, Got on a nutrition plan. He really took off. There's a reason that he played as a true freshman. Now, all of a sudden, he's better for that experience. We expect him to be a real player for us this year. Sean Preston, another veteran guy, a redshirt senior. Uh, Sean's a, ta- a guy, too, that's been kind of up and down at times, but a guy that's really good against a run. Coverage at times has been a bit of a question mark. Same thing for Colin Duncan, another senior. Colin's a guy that's made some plays for us, but times, two has been a little bit inconsistent. I think he's a bit of a tweener anyway. Um, but again, a veteran guy that's played a lot of SEC snaps. Dylan Lawrence is a guy that's a redshirt junior. Looked really good in the fall last year. Didn't get to make a lot of plays last year. Eager to see what he does this year. But you know, again, you start thinking. You know, we've had depth concerns in the secondary. Now we have depth, and really at every position. This is where the portal's been good to Mississippi State. Now you got these guys that have come in that have kind of joined the program. And uh, have done some pretty good things, and now all of a sudden you start thinking there are guys that we wouldn't have been able to have before, but now we do. Now we do have, you know, these guys, and so I'm eager to see, you know, what they look like once we get into fall. I'm eager to get into fall camp, but for the first time in a long time, I don't just look at this defense and say, "Man, we've got a problem here." I think this is a defense number one veteran players, and they got three years in the scheme. You know, you got some guys that are older and you have some guys that are experienced. You're not going to have guys out here, you know, that they're going to be scared when the bullets start flying in the SEC. And so I feel confident about the group. I think Zach Arnett will have his best year to date at Mississippi State. And because of the fact that we've signed this extension, we're not going to have to worry about losing him at year's end unless it's to a head coaching position. Now, there's always – the possibility somebody's willing to write that big check to go get him. But you begin to ask yourself, you know, who's really willing to do that? And so I think we've kind of limited those options. You know, if Alabama wants him, we're going to go sign him. But, you know, Nick Saban's really kind of a 4-3 cover-2 guy guy anyway. But, uh, you know, I think, again, it's just good business. It's very judicious. And I think brings some real stability to the program. And let's let's say two years from now Mike Leach decides to retire. I don't know that I wouldn't promote Zach Arnett. The guy's very, very heady really no nonsense I think he's the guy that does a great job for us I think we can get excited about the kind of a future with Zach my hope is you know that we didn't have that under Dan Mullen it was like it was defensive coordinator of the month I mean well have called it Baskin Robbins right I mean it's like he finally figured it out when he got Todd Grantham and then we just you know we missed out on a couple of big plays in 17 but by and large Dan Mullen had his guy and took his guy to Florida with him and ultimately fired the guy and lost his own job but um you know I think that's what Leach needs. It's just, I got that's It's going to just, hey, I'm Coach, I got the defense, and I'm going to be here for a while. So, I think we can see kind of some stability settling in with this group. Of course, you had Dave Nickel leave, God rest his soul. But by and large, I think the staff is really committed to each other and committed to this program and committed to these fans. So, uh, again, good decision to get it done, and I think it's probably one of those things, too, where you, you're kind of beginning to forecast it's like, okay if we wait to the end of this year to lock him up how much is it going to cost us if we wait to lock him up how many schools are going to come calling so good decision by John Cohen and and, uh, very appreciative of Zach Arnett for for go ahead and signing up and being ready to roll uh, for the Bulldogs for the foreseeable future so there you go just my thoughts on the Bulldog defense again I'm very excited about this group I think we're going to be a lot better than we have been. And that's not to say we've been bad. I know that Texas Tech game was rough. We are missing all those players on defense. But you got a little more depth this year and, again, a lot more experience. And I think when you look at the secondary, you're a lot more talented. When you look at what we did in the portal, you've got some guys that can really run. You have really increased the level of athleticism in the secondary. And it's going to be a lot of new names. so You're going to need, you're going to need that program the first couple of games to kind of figure out who's who. A lot of new names and numbers. But, again, I think many of these guys that joined us from the portal were guys that really didn't look at us the first time through. And so we kind of benefit from the portal by being able to bring those guys in. All right, final segment of the show brought to you by our friends at Portico. Brooks Bryan is my friend. He's your friend. Much like Blair Chandler, he's a guy that believes in Starkville. Multiple sport season ticket holder. I really believe, like, if Brooks could, like, if Brooks wins the lottery, I think he's just moving here full time. I don't think there's any question. I think if Brooks, Brian, wins, like, if you see, like, he, he's on the publisher's clearinghouse thing, they're gonna say, Hey, Brooks, what are you gonna do next? I'm moving to Starkville. Well, you can come be our neighbor. But I'm moving to Portico. Phase one completely sold out. We knew that was gonna happen. We knew it was going to happen. We've got a great relationship with the guys that are kind of putting this neighborhood together. And I know, listen, times are kind of tough right now for a lot of people. And now maybe it's the time to think about make, making Starkville your home. It's good to be around people that care. That's one of the things I tell people all the time. I, if Had I known Starkville was this great, even without Mississippi State, I'd have moved here a long time ago. I love it here. The people are fantastic. And you can go get some red duck butter, too, while you're in town. Um Give Brooks a call today, 601-416-8075. Again, that's 601-416-8075. Here's the deal. You've always wanted to be in Starkville, and maybe it's a part-time thing, or maybe it's down the road, I'm going to retire there. And now's the time to be thinking ahead, because you don't want to end up tucked away in the far recesses of our county and kind of out of town. You want to be near the action. Portico is 1.1 miles away from the Mississippi State campus. How about that? But it's on the quiet side of campus. So you're close for convenience, but far enough away to have a little privacy. Very easy to get to. You turn off of eighty-two on a twelve, like going to Duty Noble Field or Davis Wade Stadium. The very first right, Pat Station Road, takes you to Portico. Matter of fact, I was by there today. Very quiet neighborhood. Not a whole lot out there, but you know what? It's kind of a growing area too so there's gonna be some businesses out there near you and that neighborhood market from walmart already there so if you forget to get that uh you know half gallon or two percent on the way home you just swing in there and get it it's not some big imposition where you got to go fight all the the traffic in, in town so i encourage you again let portico be your next home you can get a two-bedroom two-bath home all the way up to a four-bedroom four-bath home you'd be glad you did man it's a great neighborhood If I was moving to Starkville, it's where I would live. Make Portico your next move. All right, we mentioned, I wrote about this yesterday too. I don't know if you guys are familiar with this. I I keep up with the the D1 Transformation Committee. They meet all the time. And the minutes from those meetings are available online. They're not always writing about them. There's sometimes some international media will write something. Let's, Let's be honest, your life is so busy. Maybe you don't have time to constantly check the minutes of the D1 NCAA Transformation Committee. It's co-chaired by Greg Sankey of the SEC and then Julie Cromer, who is the athletics director at Ohio University. But they meet all the time, and you can go back and read these minutes and kind of see what's talked about. It's a little summation of what happened. It's not a lot of detail, but they touch on a lot of topics. And, of course, NIL is always one of them. Now, what are we going to do? And I still believe we're going to have to have a national policy. Now, can the NCAA handle this now without federal oversight? I don't know. I don't think anybody does because you've got so many state governments now that have state laws on the books. The NCAA can't go to the Mississippi State Legislature and say, hey, you got to repeal this law or we're going to find your kids ineligible. You know, that would just lead to years and years of lawsuits that I think ultimately the NCAA would lose. But we're going to have to have probably a national law about name, image, and likeness. And then I think there will be some unintended consequences from that. Next thing you know, it goes into the high school ranks or whatever. But, you know, the hay is out of the barn now. And as I've said before, the cow is out of the barn and now the barn's on fire. So what do we do? Well, the Transformation Committee is kind of working through those possibilities. That's why Greg Sankey has gone to Washington, D.C. to talk to federal lawmakers. So I, I believe that is probably the next logical step in NIL legislation, is that we will need the federal government to step in and ensure that there is one policy for everybody. And it should never have gotten to that point, but that's where we are. I don't know that Greg Sankey, as brilliant as he is, can fix this by himself. I think he's going to need some friends on Capitol Hill because Mark Emmert and his lackeys were so derelict in their duties. Now we have this big mess. They had a chance to do it, you know, two years ago, if not longer. We've known this day was coming, and they just kind of watched it all kind of unfold rather than be leaders. Then there's a talk about transfers, and we've talked about this recently too, about what needs to happen is we need to have some transfer windows. Well, I don't know that there's enough support right now for that to happen. I think among the coaching community there is. But I think there are a lot of people out there that are very much advocates for student-athlete rights. you are like, hey, you put this thing in place and it was good for student-athletes. Now you're trying to restrict – uh, their ability to kind of get this th- their transfers completed. And I don't know that I agree with that, but that's kind of the argument that they come up with. I don't know that it hurts a player to withdraw from college competition and then just announce they're transferring later. And you can say, well, they ought to be able to transfer whenever they want to. I, I just don't know if that's the case. I mean, we're already making them stay in school, right? I mean, you can't, like, the average student can't just leave right now and then go join another program mid-semester. Like you, like if you're going to school at Mississippi State, you can't leave Mississippi State in say October, and then enroll for classes at Southern Miss, unless there's some very extenuating circumstances. And I don't, I don't, and that would probably take some work with the registrar's office to even make that a possibility. I think it's probably virtually impossible. And so, why should student athletes have a greater privilege than the regular students do? When it comes to that and so i think that the transfer windows to me makes the most sense but it does not look like that is going to pass this year now, i could be wrong that could change there's still some discussion on the matter but it doesn't look like those transfer windows will be part of the august vote because yeah, the transformation committee is going to make the recommendation i believe it goes to the d1 advisory council or something like that and then the, the university presidents will vote to me, it makes better sense. We we can't just be a situation where we're only favoring the student athletes. There has to be a balance of power in many respects, and really kind of a balance of privilege too. You know, if you're a college coach, I'd like to know who's on my roster. Right now, if I've got a guy that's a little bit unhappy, you know, I probably know that guy may be a candidate transfer, and maybe it's better for the team that he's not around anymore or she. I get that aspect of it too. But at least I know that, hey, if we set up a transfer portal window at the end of May, let's let's say we do it May 15th. Everybody's done with spring practice. Most everybody's done with spring finals. Let's go May 15th to June 30th. I got six weeks right there. And I can transfer and then be at my new school in time for the second session of summer school. Well, then at that point, the coach knows who's with them and who's not you do it in December okay we get through with uh, you know fall classes and let's say you do it and you've got until January 15th I don't know what that hurts but apparently there are not a lot of, enough people convinced just yet we need to do that because I guess they're worried about hurting somebody's feelings you know I don't know what was so wrong with the system before I mean like let's go back I can't remember the kid's name um wide receiver from Phoenix City Alabama I'll I'll I But anyway, you know, he was a guy that um, there were were some issues with. You know, he didn't get to play a whole lot. uh, And then next thing you know, he and Luke Gatsey didn't really get along. Luke pushed him. And then, I won't get into all the details, but let's just say it just was not a love connection. Well, then he decides that he wants to leave. So he never attended another football function after that. Didn't do it. And then he transferred. Okay, so who was hurt by that? He no longer, he, he still got his school paid for, right? Still was able to complete uh, his education that semester. Still had housing over his head. Still on the meal plan. He just didn't play. He didn't practice. So basically, he Mississippi State got no benefit from him that football season but yet he got financial aid and benefit from Mississippi State. And that's the right thing to do. Sometimes it doesn't work out, right? But he didn't withdraw from school. He withdrew from football and then transferred at the end of the semester. I don't know what's wrong with that. I don't know if he would feel like that he was somehow inhibited because he couldn't go out and make a public declaration that he had entered the NCAA transfer portal. That's not to say that his 7-on-7 coach or his high school coach or anybody like that couldn't go out and reach out and – Say, hey, listen, uh, my kid is going, into, is going to transfer to end in the semester. We're trying to find him a landing spot. That could happen. You know, he could have, you know, a cousin or a friend or anybody like that. Somebody else could be the point person in his recruitment. Am I wrong? You know, it's just like the whole thing that happened with, um, you know, women's basketball, you know, when um, – I can't remember her name either, but uh, transferred from UConn. You know, there was some extenuating circumstances there, and Bracky Brett worked hard uh, and got her cleared to play immediately. But she didn't participate in UConn basketball her final semester there. But she still went to class. She was still taken care of. I, I just don't understand why do we have to have all these public declarations. And maybe you guys can come up with a good reason. And Maybe message me and let me know. But that's something we're kind of working on too. Is how do we control the chaos that has become the NCAA transfer portal? I think I think the one-time transfer exception is a good rule. We've talked about that at length on this show before. You know, if you have a player that comes here, we've had several in basketball I mean, a couple of years ago. We talked about that. You have guys that come in, play a few minutes, and then maybe they just can't play at this level. Well, the kid is basically practiced for a year and not been able to play and so if everybody is okay the next year when he transfers let him be immediately eligible who would be opposed to that especially if it's a guy like let's say we have a kid leave us and go to UAB well why do we want to punish the kid for transferring well he's transferring because he can't play here and so I think that's a good rule but I think now when you begin to tie all this NIL stuff to it you know, we talk about, you know, free agencies here. In many respects, it is. And that was a thing that I, I was kind of maybe naive about in the beginning. I thought, nah, it'll be okay. It's not okay. It's out of control. And Greg Sankey and this group were trying to kind of wrap their arms around it and bring some sanity back to the conversation. And every day that I read these articles, you know, about high school kids getting offered millions of dollars to go play college sports. I mean, listen, the prospect's, of every kid making it in college are, are, are basically slim and none. I mean, how many guys do we get excited about? Oh, this kid's going to be a difference maker, and then they tear an ACL. Oh, this guy's going to come in here and be our future. And he transfers, or he can't read a defense. And so it's like we've gotten so financially and emotionally invested in these people, and we've kind of removed the possibility that these guys might fail. And so what happens then? What happens when they fail? Because your NIL can't be tied to pay-to-play, right? That's what we tell ourselves. But you and I both know how that's going to work. It is a pay-to-play thing. I don't care what anybody says. I don't care how well you it. I don't care how many releases you make. It's pay-to-play. That's where we are. That's what a year under the NIL era has brought us. Is a pay-to-play situation where you have high school players, transfer players, junior college players, all basically saying, you know what, I would love to go to your school, but how much are you going to pay me? We've legalized a lot of cheating now. That's what we've done. That's what the amateur certification folks at the NCAA – I mean, you might as well just let those, those people go. They don't have a job anymore. It's not good. Now, one of the things, too, that I do kind of support that I read and I wrote about this yesterday because I found it interesting. So the way the NCAA enforcement process works right now, and it is a very long convoluted process, it is a very necessary process, and you want my opinion about the NCAA enforcement group, I am a proponent of the NCAA enforcement group. Very much so. I think they have a very necessary function in college athletics my problem is we don't use them enough we don't use them enough now what we need to do is kind of streamline what we want to be looking for you know we don't like if a kid goes and gets a uh, you know part-time job at a hot dog stand and next thing you know he creates this wonderful recipe and they put his name on the hot dog or whatever you know and then all of a sudden he's ineligible which that's how it was before nil that's silly You know, we need to kind of streamline what we're looking for. You know, impermissible benefits should always be part of that. Academic fraud always be part of that. I think we need to expand the enforcement staff but then kind of narrow the scope of their function. Because a lot of people out there they are skirting the rules and thumbing their nose at the NCAA, and that's the difference, I guess, between me and them. If I was the director of enforcement with the NCAA and I saw this stuff with Miami, I'd have boots on the ground immediately, and I'd probably leak it to the media because I would want a word to get out to everybody else. We're down there. Oh, oh! they didn't just send the greenhorn either. Oh, the big game hunters down here. And then I would have somebody else kind of running the control center. Every time there was an article written about some kid, I'd say, hey, we need this in writing. I'd contact the kid. We need this deal. We're going to need this. And matter of fact, uh, we're going to be considering your eligibility because you're not supposed to negotiate these deals as a prospective student athlete. Uh, and so they were going to contact the school and it's like, hey, what's your relationship with this donor? I'm going to make people nervous. There needs to be an accountability piece. There's not right now. But one of the things that they're going to do is about this appeals process. And, uh, if you're in, and I wrote about it yesterday. If you're unfamiliar with the article, you can go find it. It's a free article. But, you know, let's just take the old Miss case just because that's one you guys are familiar with. And so, you know, Ole Miss, of course, had their day before the Committee on Infractions. It did not go nearly as well as their, their media suggested that it did and as the final report would suggest, um, but then they were able to appeal. And so they had no really grounds for appeal, but they'd have been fools not to appeal because that that right and process is available to them. What the NCAA Transformation Committee is discussing is like, we're not going to have a hearing anymore for an appeal. I think it's smart because here's the deal. If you had new evidence... You know, the best evidence would be presented before the committee on infractions. You wouldn't hold something back for the appeals. Now, Ole Miss did appeal one particular sanction, and they got that reversed. I mean it was something to do with uh, something to do with campus visits or something like that. Something like that, and it was kind of unprecedented. And uh, the appeals committee kicked it out. And you can say, but Steve, that they gained something from the appeal. Yeah, you can still appeal, but it's in writing. So rather than assemble the appeals committee and and go through all this and you have to bring your lawyer in, who is probably Mike Glazier or whatever, and, and, and have to appear again, you just have your lawyer type up the brief, send it in. The appeals committee can review it from the safety and comfort of their own home, have a Zoom call, deliberate over it, and then make a decision, and we're done. So it kind of streamlines that process a great deal, but also, too, like one of the things that we hear a lot, and for those of you that aren't really fans of NCAA enforcement, I've read more case files than I care to admit, but a lot of the delays for the schools themselves. Now, one, the, the, the issue is going from letter of inquiry to notice of allegations. That's what we've got to kind of shorten, but as far as going from Committee on Infractions hearing to sanctions and then appeals, that process can be handled administratively very, very efficiently. It's just a matter, I think, removing the appeals process, too, basically removes, what, 30 to 45, maybe 60 days in the whole deal. Because the fans, you know, you just want it over with, right? Give us our sanctions. We'll deal with it. We'll kind of move on. And so, you know, Ole Miss, again, won something on the appeal. But rather than having to get everybody together – And go all the way back up to Indianapolis. Now you can just kind of write the letter. You can write your appeal. And I think that is something that probably should have been done a long time ago. We love meetings. You know, don't we? We love meetings. No, we hate them, right? And so how many times have we talked about in today's era of technology, you know, learn the difference between a text conversation and what necessitates a phone conversation? Like, don't call me if you just need to tell me one thing, just text me. You know, we don't need to have a conversation, have all this dialogue and everything else. And so You know, all the pomp and circumstance of this hearing before the appeals committee appears to be on the way out. That's a good thing. And, again, I I think that what's amazing to me is, like, the things that people do to cut corners to win in college athletics. Uh, And so the NCAA really needs to streamline things. There's also some talk in those minutes about kind of what we talked about, kind of narrowing the focus of the enforcement staff. You know, how can we make this easier? I think one of the things that you can do and – And I think it's important, too, is that uh, you follow the penalty matrix. You know, like if this is what you do, like if you you hammered somebody and you hit them for 25, 30 scholarships, they're going to be awfully cooperative the next time. You know, sometimes you have to make an example out of somebody. And people are like, well, you know, we don't want to see an SMU situation. You know what? We probably don't. SMU has never truly recovered uh, from all of that. And and granted, they were cheating their tails off back then and they were – kind of profiting from their ill-gotten gains. But we don't want to see a situation like that again where our program is kind of you know, the doormat for a generation. But I think what you do is, like this Miami situation, if you find evidence that you have players, recruits, that have been improperly incentivized to attend the University of Miami, I think you absolutely hammer Miami. And I don't mean just you know a couple scholarships. I mean you hammer them. And you make everybody else realize, hey, this is not worth it. And maybe it's not Miami. Maybe it's Texas A&M. Maybe it's Texas. I don't know. But you make an example out of somebody. And it's just like your own kids, right? I mean, I got four kids. And when, I, when they were little sometimes, I only had to spank one of them. And the rest of them, like, I'm good. I'm good. It's kind of how this is, too. And so you got to get things done. Now, one of the, another interesting comment, too, they said, is they want to incentivize people to cooperate. No real details on that, but I begin to wonder too, what does that mean? Are we gonna grant additional eligibility? You know, we wanna give people an incentive to cooperate. When you look back at this Mississippi State, um, you know, the Tudergate deal, you know, this is a situation here and people, some people were like, hey, we shouldn't have reported this. You know, this is, you know, we did this to ourselves. Uh, we didn't have much of a choice in the deal. It was clear academic fraud. And rather than have to go before the Committee on Infractions, we had this negotiated resolution. And because of the fact that we were cooperative, we really got a slap on the wrist. And there were a handful of guys, of course, that and they weren't suspended. I know people say suspended. They weren't suspended. They were withheld from competition because their, their eligibility that year had been reduced. So I only got, only got to play a handful of games. And so we had to kind of pick and choose which games we're going to play them. We didn't want to play them in games we knew we were going to lose. We want to play them in games that were toss-ups to give us a chance to get bowl eligible, and we did. And it was crazy the whole way through. And you might not know it, but we're still on probation, about to come off probation this summer. We'll be glad when that's over with. But many of you didn't even feel it. Outside of the Tudor Gate group having to sit out some ball games in 2019, you were pretty much unaware that we were sanctioned for that, but we were. And so when I look at other schools that are so, everybody's like, oh, just lawyer up and be defiant. No, then that just drags the process out. If you know you're guilty, just be forthright about it. Oh, we should never do that. That's where you're kidding yourself, man. That way, when you do that stuff, when there is something later, you want the benefit of the doubt, you're going to get it. You're going to get it. I think it's important to understand that. But I do find it fascinating that they're working through this process and going to change some things. Uh, Because, I mean, I'm like all of you, like this whole LSU thing with Will Wade. I mean, this has been absurd. I mean, you get these people on a federal wiretap. What other evidence could you possibly need than a federal wiretap and then nothing happens? And that's not fair. They've got their notice of allegations now, and that's why they went ahead and fired Will Wade, and you know, they then negotiated a, you know, a, a, a contract with him. But how many millions of dollars did that guy continue to make as he was gainfully employed at LSU when he was dirty as sin? That's the thing I think about. We shouldn't still be talking about this because the, the players that are going to be punished at LSU. Had nothing to do with any of this. The people they're going to you know, paid the brunt of this. It's gonna be, you know, the, the new coach, the new coaching staff, and they'll be well compensated. But by and large, it's gonna be the fans. It's gonna be the average fan that had nothing to do with this. This gotta kinda of suffer through a handful of bad seasons because you had a dirty coach. And it shouldn't be this way. You shouldn't have dragged it out. It should have already been taken care of. That that should have been a case and listen, I know it's complicated but when I've got a wiretap and i got a guy admitting to making you know this offer, that's a 90-day deal, man. That, that, is, that is a 90-day deal. Oh, oh, well, we've got him on tape? Okay, cool. Let's go. We're done. Because the information was public, it's not like you needed to go get a subpoena to get it. You were gifted this, and you did nothing with it. And that's why people have no respect for NCAA enforcement. They put me in charge of NCAA enforcement. I can promise you we'd have people like Will Wade scared to even apply for a job. In the NCAA, and that's the way it needs to happen. I mean, and you're going to make some enemies, and you're going to break some eggs in the process. The problem with NCAA enforcement right now is nobody respects it. So you've got to do some things to restore some integrity and, and restore some integrity uh, to that institution. All right, that's it for today. Again, sorry for being late. I'll do better next week. It's Maroon Friday evening now, but uh, thank you guys for your support. Go to dogpiledthebook.com. I have A lot of people that message me and say, "Hey, Steve, I wanted to get this for my dad, and I forgot." Go to dogpile2book.com, and you can get signed copies of DogPile, Alpha Dogs, Stark Villains, and they're in limited supply, and Flim Flam. And if you're looking for Blooms of Oleander, you can find it at Amazon.com, BarnesNoble.com, Booksmegan.com, great bookstores everywhere. Your local bookstore can order that for you. And Stark Villains gear always available at StarkVillains.com. Every time I wear a Stark Villain shirt, every single time. Somebody says, hey, where did you get that? Maybe we can get the uh, campus bookmark, put them on the shelves. How about that? Maybe we should, maybe we should. We'll work that deal out. But again, StarkVillains.com, the only place to find Stark Villains gear. Until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live.